Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides on the path of suns. Today we sing one spell with, hey, let's talk to more people than usual. We are going to talk to two different people from Mining Cook Games uh, in celebration of our 100th episode recorded and released on the same day with very light editing uh, from Gen Con. So exciting. <laughs> Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. You did it. You did it from memory. We are honored to have with us this morning two members of the MCG team. Darcy is returning to talk to us. Uh, she's been on the podcast before, but we are uh, joined for the first time by Sean Reynolds from MCG. Uh, if you would take a moment to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background and connections to Invisible Sun. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Darcy, and I'm really, really happy to be back here. Uh, it's cool to be in person recording, too. Yay. Uh, yay. So uh, I'm Darcy Ross. I'm the Community Relations Coordinator. Uh, my training comes from snailology, so <laughs> I'm all about weird, squeaky creatures, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of my love of weird, squeaky creatures today, probably. Awesome. <laughs> and I'm Sean Reynolds. I'm a designer at MCG. I'm part of Monty's original playtest group for Invisible Sun, and you may know me as Saru Big Punch from The Raven Wants, which you have our live stream uh, on Twitch of Invisible Sun. Very good. Uh, how about we start with uh, uh, kind of a broad question. What have you enjoyed about Invisible Sun that you hadn't experienced or hadn't experienced regularly with other games? Um, a major, I, I think there are two major things I want to talk about probably today. And one, one is sort of like about the game itself. So development mode has been, development mode and character arcs and sort of the interweaving of those two have made really powerful play experience happen happen on my streams and in you know the game that I get to play in with uh, with Sean um, that we don't stream um, so development mode is pretty huge for me and I find myself like seeking it out a lot I just think that like the kind of emotional stories and just the kind of like narrative content that I get to have in my games now um, development mode and character arcs have really opened that door a lot for me um, so that's that's an important one for me when, when I have a question about yeah. development mode. Um, so when you're doing it, are you doing it? Oh, you're doing it online, right? Um, or do you get with to... with Sean in the game that Sean runs internally? Uh, we do it over Slack DMs. Okay. Um, but then some development modes for like, uh, our, let's see, uh, a woman with hollow eyes. We did you know in person. And so. Okay. And what do you have a preference? Like, how does it work for you? <sighs> Good question. Um, I am so. I, I freaking love development mode, and I want to know every. I want to know how other people do it so badly because I think I, I'm still sort of experimenting with the format, right? I think there's, it's just such a new kind of way to play RPGs for me that I, I feel like I'm getting my sea legs in it still. It's still really enjoyable, but um, so one thing that uh, Brandon Ording said to me last night about when we talked about this is that he sets expectations before he starts sort of a text-based, you know, over DMs. Um, mm -hmm development mode where okay are we gonna you know really role play this out or are we gonna kind of vignette through this quickly with a few bullet points and I think that setting expectation is really good because I think I have gone into the development modes thinking that I was facilitating them as bullet points and then it was two hours later and I was trying to think of dialogue and I don't know how to write dialogue <laughs> you know uh, so yeah, when you have too much time to think about what oh you my can gosh. say yeah <laughs> I really struggled with it so I um 
I'm still iterating on the form. How, mm-hmm. how about you, Sean? So you've done development mode with me, yes. and then, but also other players. You and Bear took most of my development mode time. Like, they're just like, yeah, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm one paragraph, we're done. But you guys, is just a little side quest and literally just <laughs> yeah. paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of interactive text that we were writing, which is really, really cool. I love development mode. Cool. Uh, you also mentioned character arcs, and that's really the primary thing for me in that it's such a change to be, like, I grew up playing D&D, all various iterations of D&D over the years, and it's very much a, I'm the GM, I'm giving you your quest, and this mm-hmm. is what you do. It's the visible sun, it's like, I'm the player, and this is my character. My character has these goals, and we're going to act on those goals. And it's still sort of surprising and a little uncomfortable in a good way for mm-hmm. me to have an entire episode of our live game. It's like, okay, we're going to work on Callahan's character arcs to you know figure out this thing. And I get all this screen time. I got all this time in the spotlight. And I feel a little guilty about it. But they're like, no, no, we're here for your part of the story. And next week it'll be, you know... Sean's mm-hmm. part of the story, or Susan's part, or Bruce's part, and so it's just—it's really cool. As a person who is an extrovert and likes to talk, but oddly enough, doesn't like to hog attention. Mm-hmm. Right. Doing that in game is such a weird thing, but it's so novel and fun. Mm-hmm. That and that's something I've run into where, it's, as a player, I don't want to take all the spotlight, um, and I imagine that being given permission to take the spotlight for a majority of the session is something that really takes a lot of adjusting to. Mm. And I find it kind of surprising that as a game designer at a company for games, mm-hmm. that you have that same sort of hurdle that you're getting over. Mm. Like, Well, I mean, we have the same experiences. Just because I'm yeah. designing games doesn't mean I run into the same problem. We wrote an entire book, Your Best Game Ever, about mm-hmm. like problems with players and problems with being a GM. And it's you just deal with that through Everybody experience. Everybody faces it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That book is, uh, I'm not sure, is it available from the store yet? I know it's shipping out to backers now. Yep, it is fully released. Yep. I so. saw a really fancy version of it last night. Yes, the deluxe uh, edition. Yeah, the deluxe edition. Very uh, one, of the, one of the artists was there, and she was showing off her, her book and nice. uh, you know, work that she had in it. It was really cool. I wanted to add, you mentioned that it's for the character spotlight bit. I think Invisible Sun makes it easier to do that because you can actually take a character arc that is simply aid a friend. It's like, yeah. yes, I know that you're looking for, you know, the demon who, you know, killed your father or whatever. I'm going to join you in that arc. And so whenever that character is having their moment in the spotlight, they don't have to feel so guilty because it's like, no, literally you have devoted part of your mm-hmm. narrative time to helping me with this. This isn't just my story. This is our story. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've had to like encourage your players to do? Or is that something you just have figured out like hey share in in these mm. other character moments because we want everybody to be part of these arcs like just because it's your arc doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. nobody else's for the players in my game who are not as up to snuff with invisible sun i have mm-hmm. had to send them some direct messages saying mm-hmm. hey you know what you could work you know work with so and so on this our primary thing was what happened to uh, bear's character's missing brother and so i said you could take an aided friend and you could take a this and that and so mm-hmm. it, it's it's such a different experience than most games that, having played it now for over two years, I have a lot of like mm-hmm. unwritten acknowledgement of how this game works best when people are encouraged yeah. to do A, B, and C. And so I'm trying to encourage the players to do that. You, you've done your own, and you did the Raven Wants with us. So you're just like you're on the, you're on the A level of people who are, how, know. I mean, we're all still learning, but you're yeah. you're up there with us. Well, thank you. Very fancy. Because <laughs> learning this game is not like some other transitions from games, where mm. the core 
experience is intended to be similar, but maybe different bonuses, maybe different dice types. Right. But the core experience is that one thing I've been wondering, um, and I don't think it's an answerable question, <laughs> is the extent to which the design of the game to scale from one-on-one to party-based play, all in the same narrative, mm-hmm. predisposes it to, to a different type of story. Because in all of the examples from actual play and the stories I've heard from other people's games, mm-hmm. Invisible Sun games involve direct connections to players and sort of emotional exploration more mm-hmm. than yeah. many other games, mm-hmm. really any other games I've ever, I've ever played. And I don't know whether that's a product of that scaling because the, the, the setting and the game experience can be brought all the way down to a one-on-one experience, or mm-hmm. it's broader setting because of the surreal nature of the setting, because of the choices made in art and in mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. writing of the game, it just moved it in that direction. But it really is a different experience mm-hmm. than I've had with a lot of other games. And we do that sort of thing in, in television. You'll have mm-hmm. an ensemble cast, and you'll suddenly have an episode that's all about what this one character's been doing, and you can kind of backfill over the past few episodes. Oh, they've been dealing with this the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you get that with development mode. Totally. Like somebody like shows up at the game, it's like, oh, this thing happened. And you're like, when did this happen? Yeah. Clearly, this is development mode. But you have all this emotional, positive or negative yeah. baggage that comes along with it, that it becomes part of the group experience that, as you said, it just expands or contracts to be whatever the current mode of play is, and it's really, really fun. Um, I think it's really interesting that that does seem to hold across the actual plays that I've seen, like, all over, right? All of them have this emotional heft. Um, But I think that's even more fascinating to me because of the way, um, and I think this is one of the major things that I take away from Invisible Sun and I cherish about it, um, and I don't quite understand it, (laughs) which is good. Invisible Sun, full of secrets and mystery. Um, It's the fact that, like, there's this the community so wildly interwove around this game, right? There's just, they, they, and, you know, I wonder if it has something to do with the scaling too, right? You know, Invisible Sun wanted to be, you know, has this, these mechanics available for when you don't have all the players at the table, when you have a new player in from out of town. So it already had this sort of mechanical uh, structure to say, okay, we can accommodate sort of shifting casts, but now the community has taken it to 11, right? With these, you know, uh, actual plays that are constantly crossing over characters with home games that are taking characters from actual plays. Um, And then, you know, I especially am fascinated that people can cross over on these actual plays um, and, you know, so you're taking in a new person uh, with this cast and and still have, like, to not be able to, to not have to really ramp up to the emotional heft is is pretty impressive. Like, I'm just... uh, and I think part, you know, a lot of it's from character arcs and from development mode, right? You know, you have a good sense of your character, you have how your characters interrelate and like what they want, and I guess people and people are just like ready to bring the emotions to the table by this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm fascinated by the like wider uh, connective like net of Invisible Sun players and performers, and like I'm just so impressed that's sprung up around this game. And I think some of that is because everybody's narrative is at least has one foot in Saturine. And so rather than like a traditional fantasy That's campaign where like, oh, I'm bringing my elf into your game, your elf is from an entirely different world. Yeah. And Invisible Sun's like, no, my, I'm from this other neighborhood, but you've been through there. You had, you know, yeah. an interaction with an NPC. So you know where I'm from. We have seen the same sort of strange things in our home city. So that kind of cements mm-hmm. the connection 
and the presence of that character in the ongoing narrative. It's really about how everyone is telling stories in Saturday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of bumping into some people who are not inside your normal circle of yeah. PCs every now and then. Yeah, I was talking to Brandon Ording last night. He said all he, he believes all of the Raven wants which you have main characters have he's brought all of them into his campaign at one time or another. Oh, and yes. so that, that spirit of sharing is certainly yeah. there. Uh, and some of it, I, I'm wondering to what extent, if at all, did the emergence of actual play influence the design of the game, or was it sort of a happy accident mm. that the mechanics of the game and the nature of the game mm. connect so well with the spirit of this emerging important part of the community? That's why I guess you'd have to ask Monty that. I mean, yeah, there's a lot that's going on in his head that didn't necessarily come out in direct words stating that, mm-hmm. but I would not be surprised if that influenced him. You know, it's funny you mentioned that the Raven Wands characters have appeared in, in so many games. Like, I literally can't do that because two of my players are Darcy and Monty. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, why are you using my character? And they'd be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know the Cigatrix wouldn't talk like this, but I need her for this. No, okay, I'll bring in somebody else, fine. That's so true. Even <laughs> the decision to include art representing those characters yeah. in mm-hmm. Book M is, mm-hmm. an, I think it's mostly Book M, mm-hmm. uh, encourages yes. that borrowing from yeah. different locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, and, and there have been a lot of other surprises to me that have been interesting, uh, and uh, I don't know, it's just where I am in my gaming history. Uh, also, the ability to say, okay, there's parts of this game in the community that are interesting, but really not something I'm engaging with much. Mm-hmm. But two thumbs up, yeah. you know, bring in more people. Like I've been shocked at the the, the role of kind of fashion and cosplay. Oh my gosh, sure. totally. And like, that's great, I can't do that. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. I'm very happy that people do, and that it brings people to the game yeah. that yeah. might not feel a connection otherwise. Yeah. And so it brings a different and set of people and histories and beliefs yeah. Um, and it creates a very vibrant community, which is very exciting. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think there's a different step between I'm going to cosplay as a fantasy character who needs to have armor or mm-hmm. crazy robe or something like that, or I'm going to cosplay as someone who has this vaguely 1930s New York aesthetic plus weirdness. Like yeah. you can more easily get into that second category. Point. And a lot of people are like, oh, I would totally cosplay as that. I wouldn't feel comfortable wearing like a squirrel girl co- cosplay. Mm-hmm. You know, but right. I could totally be a person who's got a crazy you know, hat and a monster on my shoulder and that sort of thing. So that's you, a really you could pull off squirrel girl. Well, I could. Yeah. Yeah, I'm speaking as just a generic person who wants to play okay. this episode. <laughs> yes, your, your character, uh, cosplaying your character was a t- Last year at Gen Con, or was it two years ago? Well, I cosplayed as Seru last yes, year. Last year. But actually, two years ago, when we had Invisible Sun at the show, I was cosplaying as my Callahan character, my oh, Vance okay. character, who is from Monty's home game that most people don't know anything about, although he has actually appeared in the directed campaign. Yeah, yes. I think you, you came to the uh, the announcement, like the, the, the uh, event, the uh, uh, seminar. Yes. As Callahan. Okay, that's I had what my suit on, my top hat, mm-hmm. my nails done. So good. And it was confusing at first, but that was because it preceded the announcement and explanation of the setting for the game. Yeah, yeah I set our booth mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and that, and it, but that's, an ex- that's one of several examples of aspects of the community that just bring together yeah. the sort of gestalt mm-hmm. of different people who uh, represent different identities that, are repre- that may not be as well represented, mm-hmm. though they're not absent. Uh, in other games, and so this is just an excuse for people to get together, maybe more, feel more comfortable, yeah. and and play with different aspects of their identity, which is a core cool. part of roleplay. Yeah. Uh, the Changeries, uh, uh, Dearest Slattery, um, is amazing. Uh, 
she is a cast member of season two of A Woman with Hollow Eyes, and uh, she's a wild, awesome, like, game designer and super, super interesting, smart person. Uh, she's trans, and she really wanted to explore kind of trans identities through Invisible Sun, partly because of this, you know, this changeries side of things where, um, you know, what does it mean if you're, you're, every aspect of your body is uh, malleable in this, you know, even broader sense than, than we have on, on Earth, right? Mm -hmm. um, and also this sort of duality of uh, a life where you've come out, right? <clears throat> you come out of shadow, right? You have this life that you lived before that was a lie. There's, there's a lot to play with about identities and finding yourself um, in that sort of metaphor, I think, for a lot of people. And, you know, and on a second level, like people mm. who've been to the changeries among Visley, they are called the perfected. So the oh, idea wow. that you are finding your most perfect self is a really interesting yeah. part of the pathway of being trans. You're like, no, this is the real mm -hmm. me, and you're finally seeing the real me. Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. I didn't even thought of that before. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. I had not thought of that, no. Um, I guess I have a question. Yeah. Um, so we have all this history with Invisible Sun now. We've got, like, it's been out for, what, two years? Been talked about yeah, for, like, three so. years? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, maybe not two years, but... 70 years, go on. Right? Yeah. Yep. So, but, like, where's Invisible Sun going to be in the future? Like, how are you going to be continuing on with where Invisible Sun has taken you so far? Well, there's so much material in the books, and people are taking their campaigns in so many different ways. It's not like they're going to run out of stuff to mm -hmm. do. Um, we did the initial Kickstarter, and we had that initial plan for four follow-up books. And then the book, the game was so popular that we ended up doing the reprint, and then added things like Introverting to the Path. Yep. And so, I'm not sure if we're really ready to say we're going to make Invisible Sun an ongoing line. That we're going to keep maintaining like Numenera. Like it was intended as a this is a very high-end intense product. It's not for everybody. It's going to give you all this stuff to run a game. And I'm not sure if we're really prepared to say, and forever we'll do Invisible Sun. Like, I hope it's something weird though, right? I oh. feel like it would be, right? You, could, you don't just like, oh, I guess we'll make another book, right? Like, Encarnation of the Path, I can't remember how much is public knowledge about it, but it's real weird. Yeah. It's really cool, like yeah. the format. Yeah, I don't think we know anything. Okay, I'm not going to say anything, but oh my gosh. But it's not shocking to hear that it's weird. Yeah, yeah. and but just like in format too, so, um, y you know. I, I really appreciate that the community has been so vocal about support for it, ha about, um, you know, uh, with the, the release of sort of the digital Black Cube, like a lot of people who, uh, you know, are able to access this sort of world that we're all playing in, in a way that um, we, we wouldn't have before that. But like, you know, I, I don't know, I just, I'm really fascinated by the, by it's the way people have picked it up, because I think Everybody at MCG was like, this could be an extremely niche product. We are not sure if people are even down for this yeah. in any way. Like, Monty, you know, it's Monty's baby, right? He wanted to make it happen. And so, you know, if you're going to own your own company, if you're going to go through all the trouble of running a company, yes. you may as well make the things that you desperately want to play. Um, but now that it's grown sort of much beyond our expectations, I think we're always trying to figure out, <laughs> we're always pretty uh, nimbly trying to figure out what to do next. And, yeah. and reacting to how fans are playing our stuff. And actually even looking at the release schedule for the books that were already announced in the initial mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Kickstarter. So we've got Secrets of Silent Street, well, Bookam, Secrets of Silent Street's Teratology, and then Threshold. And 
we have the night side as well that's not part of the, the, those quad and then Intruding came in before that and so there was a lot of discussion of which book do we put in order like can we switch them around because thematically you kind of want to have this in this part of the story cycle but you also would not want to have the slipcase be occupied or unoccupied when people are like I know I have four books where's my fourth book <laughs> um, I think as we see the last of the announced products come out, people will see where Monty is kind of wanting the general story of Invisible Sun to go. I think mm-hmm. that uh, Threshold will be a big eye-opener for people. I've got a, a broad question. Mm-hmm. Given the popularity of actual play connected to the game, yeah. do you, what do you think could most support that sort of activity for the game? Is there a product? Is there a is something that you think could really help build these uh, streaming teams? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how could that influence the game moving forward? Though obviously this is not right. an announcement. This is just sort of well, what's your yeah. What's, what's your dream <laughs> product to serve that purpose? That's such an interesting question. Uh, the thing that came to mind immediately, um, you know, speaking to my. My role is community relations coordinator, right? Um, uh, I, I was going to say having a place where, you know, having some sort of um, single place where, like, all these streamers can sort of go and, and talk about their experiences, some sort of organi- organized, like, communication place where all the streamers can sort of go, share share material, share ideas, also have, you know, updates about their, their campaigns and things. Um, would be really convenient for Darcy, who wants to, say, social media lies, all of this really cool stuff they're doing. So I always appreciate when people, like, tag us, because I want to, I'm always trying to keep track of it, but there's, it's sort of uh, all over the place. But I, I actually take it back, like, the, the people who are in that community who want to be part of the broader network of streamers are kind of already reaching out to each other, like, di- over discords, so it's not that siloed. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any, like, technological tools like you know some streams but like it's kind of been cool to see the way that all these different streams like innovate right like whether they have kind of gifs in the back that that are showing like really cool weird effects that make everything weird and surreal as you're watching the show Um, whether it's uh, really fancy sort of path of suns animations and Mm -hmm. showing the cards Um, so uh, I'm trying to think of what would best support that community? And I, I, I don't quite have an answer yet. Do you have any thoughts, Charles? It's interesting because you're coming at it from a technological perspective because you deal with all these people directly yeah. and, and the, the, the physical right. needs of making their streams happen. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of it in terms of game design. Mm, and right. I think the closest thing we have is now that the directed campaign is like almost done, like that's really the closest to a super adventure that Invisible Sun's ever going to get. And I think as more people get there, like you could start the directed campaign right now mm-hmm. and then you could advance your players through it as part of your stream. And it'd be, I think it'd be really interesting if a lot of streamers just said, we're going to do the directed campaign. And mm. because the directed campaign is not meant to be, this is the main story. This is just right. kind of like a, a, a wide path for you to take your characters on. It's, they're gonna have their own character works. I think it'd be really interesting to see a lot of different streaming groups take that path and you can see how the characters in that story evolve through those particular challenges, but in different iterations from every Twitch stream. It's almost like, 
simultaneous reboots of a particular franchise. Everyone's going through this. Or it's like, as they say in uh, Battlestar Galactica, this has all happened before and it shall all happen again. And so mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, when this other group did that, you know, so-and-so became the primary character and this thing tragically happened. Or in this other group, this character became mm. the focus and they succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. Yeah, and so just comparing really cool. those two different aspects. Oh, yeah. I know a product that I want. <laughs> uh, it is inspired by the GM and player notebooks that just came out oh, for your best yeah. game ever, which I absolutely love. Um, I'm sort of making claw hands <laughs> right now, uh, dear dear listeners, because of how much I love these notebooks. Um, it shows up on the waveform, actually. Oh, good, perfect. Yeah, they're yeah, very yeah. strong claw hands. <laughs> um, what I would like is, you know, I love the guiding hand. I love these player and GM notebooks. And I, I think what I like about this style of notebook is that it, it's got just spots for you to put things that you're going to need and it's also it acts both as like an easier place for like a slightly pre-organized place for me to store my notes which is great but also it inspires me right like there are boxes that are like okay you know what's your character what are some of your characters quirks or phrases they've said that that inspires me to start thinking about deeper aspects of my character right I would love to have like a notebook where I could maybe keep notes on my development modes or something right because I sometimes I feel like they're scattered to the winds so I would love like a a cool, weirdly designed, you know, you know, piece of art, you know, stickers or something with the, the sooth card that you pulled, right? Oh, nice. I could just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of wild design that you could play with there. Note to self: sooth card stickers. We yes. do that. Sooth card stickers would be cool. <laughs> and, I, and every third, fourth page, it's like, oh well, here's some uh, some names that are yeah. thematic. And yeah. then four pages later, it's by now you probably want some locations, sort of like the guiding hand. Yeah. And you, but and then have seven different versions of that because it's just randomizing which names randomizing which locations that could be a lot of fun Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of places to share I know Jason Robinson's Notion and Secret Cellar are are trying to get that nexus where people are sharing content and it's it's been difficult to get that up and running but it is it is an active effort yeah I should be closer with that they're approaching it like as sort of a multiverse for Invisible Sun Mm -hmm. right Right, and they're uh, in, in, occasionally publishing news articles and news papers mm-hmm. from Saturine, reporting on events from different campaigns, streams, yeah. from streams and, and people's campaigns, whatever. It, it, I think they're happy with whatever content is brought to them. Yeah. So whether it's a, people's home game that's never streamed and otherwise no one would have access to it, they're happy to get that word out mm-hmm. for the people who are not comfortable streaming. But then to bring in uh, aspects from the streams as well. Uh, I love that. Uh Saturine Infinitely, or what's the the Crepuscule Notion? Oh. Is that the name of the yes. actual paper? Got it. Yeah, I don't want to try and pronounce that first word. <laughs> Crepuscular. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which is not the same as corpuscular. Right. Two <laughs> very and that word exists. I frequently joke about not worrying too much about pronouncing words that don't are exist. fake words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that word exists, <laughs> so I'm more yep. careful about that. Any uh, last thoughts on uh, just your, we've talked a lot about your reaction to the development of the community and kind of where the game is, a little bit about where the game's going, Um, but maybe as a capstone question, how has playing this game and developing this game changed the way you think about developing games and writing games moving forward? I guess that's a me question. I didn't want to think. Um, oh, not just you. <laughs> I'd like to hear his answer first. <laughs> so I just finished writing "Stay Alive," a book on horror, and like having written 192 pages on just one single topic, just the general topic of horror, and how you manage a horror game. Like 
dealing with the invisible sun and its permutations kind of colored that because like when you have a narrative invisible sun you're going to be talking about controversial things so i'm just like oh like my character his twin brother is missing or so and so you're avenging a murder or something like that and in horror there are a lot of push button topics mm -hmm. it's mostly it's push button topics but you have to you have to i don't know if you can hear them or not it's fine okay We'll, we'll edit that part out. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, they're editing this out. <laughs> but with horror, you have these push-button topics that like, people are agreeing to be scared about. But they're going to have other topics that they don't want to be scared about. And so you need to know where the safe places to scare somebody is. And so there's like an entire chapter in this book, and Darcy's read it, I think talking about consent and saying, okay, uh, literally there's a checklist that's like, okay, if you have issues with spiders, if you have issues with kids being harmed, if you have issues with drug use, like these are things I don't want to talk about in the game. And like a lot of that just comes from Invisible Sun giving people a comfortable space either as a group or in development mode to delve into some of those serious things that they want to talk about, but under very protected parameters. So yeah, that's already started to spill over to other things that I'm doing. Cool. So cool. Um, so for me, I think sort of a, a design preference that I've had for a long time is like, keep it simple, right? I'm, I'm very like, you know, give me lasers and feelings because a lot of what I like to do is get new people into RPGs, right? So I, I really find myself gravitating towards systems that have, you know, pretty core, core mechanics and like, you know, the Cypher system in Numenera, right? You know, it all boils down to a difficulty and, you know, and a role, right? Um, it's it's very streamlined. Uh, Invisible Sun has got a lot of wild subsystems happening. There's mm -hmm. all these different ways to engage with magic. Um, but one thing that was made clear to me is that like so many of those subsystems are opt in, mm -hmm. um, and they are pretty much player facing, right? Like the, the weaver is looking at their you know their spell effect by level table, and the maker is looking at their maker sheet, and the goetic is. You know, it, it's just like, I don't, I, the GM, um, don't have to like impose these subsystems on anybody. Um, they're often, the, the players become sort of the masters of that rule set anyway. Uh, so I, I guess I've really been fascinated by Invisible Sun's like distribution of like rules mastery uh, and like how, how easy it is to work with these wildly different subsystems. Uh, I, I wouldn't have expected that before I, I had played Invisible Sun and I've, like, it makes me it makes me wonder what other games I've been overlooking because I'm like, oh, there are too many rules in there. Hair flip. Well, <laughs> Invisible Sun does have that like central mechanic where you have right. a difficulty and mm -hmm. you have a role, and then there are things that you do to modify it. Yeah. But ultimately, that's the thing that unifies all the characters, and that's what the GM right. keeps in mind. Mm -hmm. And then the players, like you say, it's player facing. They have all these other tools that they can use if they want to. Right. Uh, but yeah, you have that unifying thing that kind of brings it all together. In the yeah, end. you're totally right. I think it's really cool that like, Monty put in the rules, or in the game text, that says, hey, if you want to hold back some spells or some objects of power, you can. You can just be like, oh, you know what? These are restricted for some reason. Maybe legally restricted, or maybe there's just secrets that nobody has discovered yet mm -hmm. in my narrative. Oh, interesting. Um, and I think it's really neat how what orders the players are playing can greatly influence not only the mechanics, but like what sort of stuff happens in the game. Like in uh, Monty's home game, 
we don't have a maker. And so I had not dealt at all mm -hmm. with the maker mechanics. Um, and then in the game that I'm running, I have three makers. Oh my. And so it's just like, oh, okay. And, but they're all different. Like you're making wood, you're making clay, and you're making metal. And so they have like different interests and different themes for this. But I had to learn how makers work. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn it well enough that I could explain it to the one player who was like, I'm, I love RPGs, but like this is way complex than yeah. what I'm used to. How do the makers make it? So, so I had to work out with her, what do you want to make? Let's do that step by step. But, and there, there are no Vance's in my, there are no Vance players in my campaign, but like my player, my character in Monty's game is a Vance. And so I've got all this mythology in my head about Vance's Ooh. that I ended up projecting into the background. And yeah. so the rest of yeah. my group, all of my players are like, yeah, Vance's are just weird. They wear top hats all the time. And <laughs> sort of stuff. they're very, very brash. And you know, they ask people out on dates in the middle of a duel. And that game. Yeah, I, I can't wait till we play it again. I surprised Darcy with it because there's this setup between this oh. Vance who was just like, the, the, the players were all set to go and fight this thing mm -hmm. and that turned out to not be a fight and so Darcy's character is like ready to oh fight. Oh my god, I bought so much killing machinery. <laughs> so I like, was hey, ready to it's murder. Got all these ephemera and stuff and then there's this Vance just like, you bumped into her and she's like, I'm offended, I will duel you. And you're like, fine, sundown, be there. And so everybody's like, and they had like a formal seconds, and like, okay, we're gonna do this, be there, and you, I'm gonna bring some oh guns. Like, I thought I was gonna die. Yes. I don't know how to use guns. You were I ready. Gun you were so ready to fight, and now we're- So where does this turn yes. to being asked out? Because <laughs> they show up for the fight, yeah. and then the, the advanced NPCs, the second walks over to Darcy's NPC second, who was Bear's character, and says, uh, Mademoiselle would uh, like to offer a peaceful resolution if you agree to go out on a date with her. <laughs> <laughs> and Darcy's just like, what? I think my jaw fell on the floor. Uh, that's a really good question. We twist. were so scared. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it's that kind of sort of turn. We're yeah. like, I was not expecting that because it's uh. invisible sun. Yeah, I've often talk about how robust or resilient the system is mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. even if you leave some of the subsystems out yeah. mm -hmm. the, oh, yeah. the game still works uh, in, in my home group we don't even bother recording currency it's just mm -hmm. not something that interests us to track yeah. so we just ignore it yeah. and it doesn't break the game right. uh, and there are other sort of we don't do a lot with houses mm. but we could at some point in the future right. but ignoring it while because my, my uh, group really likes to travel sure. so we don't do a lot of we're off all in the suns cool. as opposed to in Saturnine and it, it, ignoring, selectively ignoring the subsystems that just don't grab us right yeah. now, mm -hmm. everything else still works. Mm -hmm. and, so I, and I think it comes to, back to having that core mechanic, yeah. uh, but also thoughtful, elegant design. Yeah. Do we have anything else, or shall we wrap it up here? I'm good. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, the celebration of our 100th episode oh, that releases today. Uh, and uh, we're honored to have you on to talk about the game and, and to share your time with us in a very busy schedule for Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, I got oh. up early for this. That's how much I care. Oh, oh wow. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Doubly uh, honored. Yeah, so thanks for being on for the first time. Yeah, and thank you. Thanks for being our most frequently <laughs> guesting guest, <laughs> Darcy. I better keep that spot, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, you may be tied after the next, because somewhere Jason's oh, no. Robinson's running around trying to make sure he overtakes, I think. But we'll see. <laughs> okay, Wait, I'll fight him. <laughs> oh, no, you're talking about the thing I recorded with him uh, earlier. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> That's a hint for things to come. It's still time for you to sabotage that recording. <laughs> you can smash his laptop and it'll be gone. <laughs> Done. All right. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. 
maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive-Thru RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.